This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines. New Hampshire healthcare facilities are having to make tough decisions between staffing shortages and limited availability for some COVID-19 treatments. New Hampshire House members continue to disagree over COVID protocols, and the lawmakers are debating whether to extend the new so-called divisive concepts law to include colleges and universities. Joining me now to talk about all of that and more are NHPR's health and equity reporter, Ali Pham, and New Hampshire Bulletin's education reporter, Ethan DeWitt. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Rick. Happy to be here. Well, New Hampshire is experiencing rapid increase in COVID cases from the Omicron variant. We know this. That's according to state health officials. And, and Ali, I want to start with you. What's the estimated proportion of positive cases that are from this variant right now? Yeah, so the Omicron spike is absolutely here in New Hampshire. It maybe came to us a little bit later than states like New York or Massachusetts, but it is here now for sure. State officials confirmed at the start of this week that around 90 percent of the COVID positive specimen that they're running that genetic testing on were the Omicron strain of the virus. And, you know, we're seeing this Omicron spike, too, if we take a look at our daily new case numbers, which have more than doubled in just the past 10 days. And so, you know, yes, we know that these cases are more mild, especially among vaccinated people. But when there's just so many people sick with COVID, I think we can really expect that this will continue to put significant strain on the healthcare system. Sure, it's just a statistical, uh, you know, um, uh, inevitability, I guess. More yeah. cases will eventually lead to more hospitalizations. We, and, and you said we're seeing some hospitals uh, being overwhelmed a little bit, but but it's not to the degree that we're seeing cases rise. Right. The rate of hospitalizations is going up slower, but we have seen, uh, especially this week, hospitalizations start to kind of tick back up after falling in the, yeah. the end of December. I guess the good news is in some places around the country, we're starting to see those rates fall, but we'll see what happens here in New Hampshire. Um, the rise in those cases has led health officials, I know, Allie, to update the, their guidance for healthcare facilities that are giving treatments. Uh, what does that new guidance say? Right. So the new guidance effectively effectively says, hey, we know Omicron is the vast majority of new cases here. So let's make sure when we're treating patients for COVID-19, we're actually using treatments that are effective against the Omicron strain. Um, but a lot of those treatments that are effective against Omicron are, are newer and they're in very limited supply and in high demand, not only here in New Hampshire, but across the entire country. So that means that health providers who give these treatments, that's, you know, hospitals, some urgent care centers, basically are figuring out how do we prioritize patients when our supply is limited so that people who could benefit the most from this treatment, that is those at the highest risk of progression of a severe COVID case, um, are, are getting it. And, you know, I spoke to a doctor at Concord Hospital about this, and he says they're planning to basically use like a, a scoring system, which takes in to account things like underlying health conditions to help them make these kind of, of difficult judgments. Yeah. And you say difficult judgments. Is there indications that some people who may need these uh, antiviral drugs may not be able to get them? I mean, there's definitely indications that supply is limited and maybe not everyone who would have qualified for these kind of treatments two weeks ago is going to qualify now. Now, at the same time that we're experiencing this intense COVID surge, the legislature is back in session. Two state representatives tested positive for the virus after last week's in-person session in Manchester. Ethan, you've been reporting on how not everyone in the House is happy with current COVID protocols. I know you've talked with lawmakers about this. What are you hearing from them? 
Yeah, so there are definitely still lawmakers who are not happy with the House's meeting plans. Um, just for context, last week, the 400 members of the House, they met again for the first time in about six months at the Doubletree Hilton Hotel in downtown Manchester. And I should say this is the fifth venue that they've tried since leaving Representatives Hall in March 2020 when the pandemic um, broke out. They've met in an indoor hockey arena in UNH. They've met in an outdoor field hockey arena. They've met in a car park at UNH, drive-in style. They've met in an indoor sports arena in Bedford, uh, sitting on folding chairs and AstroTurf. So this hotel conference room in Manchester is the latest attempt. Um, but well, one thing that they haven't tried that Democrats have been asking for for um, you know going on a year now is to allow remote participation for lawmakers who aren't don't feel like they can risk being in the arena, however socially distanced the seats are, um, and could vote from home. That is something that the Republican leadership has been resistant to. Um, and it's something that Democrats have been pushing for um, since Republicans took power in late 2020. Democrats have filed a lawsuit in federal court under the Americans um, for Disabilities Act, or Americans with Disabilities Act, um, and they've actually been joined by the Biden Justice Department in that lawsuit. And that lawsuit is currently sitting in the First Circuit Court of Appeals. And Democrats have also gone to the state Supreme Court. They went there in 2020 and they got an advisory opinion in November 2020 that found that the House is actually permitted under the state constitution to allow remote participation. But the chamber has to change its meeting rules. So that's sort of where the um, where the fight has has headed in mm -hmm. the, you know, the last few months. Every time the House has met in a new venue, Democrats have fielded a rule change. They've they've attempted to get the rules changed to allow the possibility of remote voting and participation. And that attempt has been consistently voted down sure. by Republicans and yep. largely party line votes. Well, the Republicans in, in control firmly of the legislature. I mean, I, are, are Democrats, you know, do you get indications that, that they're going to keep this fight up, that they're they're going to be trying to get more opportunities to, to be able to vote remotely? Yeah. Well, what's interesting as a reporter is when you're kind of Every every month, it seems to be a different venue. And so there, there's always some intrigue as to what what it's going to be, you know, this month. But the conversations, they stay the same. When you talk to lawmakers, the arguments are the same on both sides. Democrats say this is a matter of access. They have members who are immunocompromised, who haven't been able to vote since March 2020, are sitting and elected, but haven't been able to vote on legislation. For Republicans, it's very simple. Uh, voting is an act of showing up. And if you have talked to lawmakers in the hallway, Republican lawmakers, and they say very simply, if you don't show up, you don't get to vote. So Democrats are going to continue the effort, but there really isn't much uh, appetite on either side for a compromise. Um, and there isn't any uh, any appetite on the Republican side to allow remote voting. And what I should say is it kind of all comes down to Speaker Sherman Packard, um, and he's getting pressure from both sides. He's getting pressure from his own party who want to meet back in Representatives Hall, which is very tightly packed and is an idea that Democrats would uh, you know, very much not support. And he's getting pressure from Democrats who keep bringing up these rule change votes and uh, have pointed to um, situations like the three COVID positive cases that came out of last week's meeting to say that the rules need to change. Yeah. Healthcare workers are, are getting sick at higher rates than before with the surge. I want to turn back to you, Ali. Hospitals, I know, have already been struggling with staffing shortages. How are hospitals coping? What are you hearing? 
Yeah. So, I mean, as we know, Omicron's super contagious and it's also infecting vaccinated people, even if cases are more mild. And that's basically exactly what hospitals has, have been seeing is just a jump in staff who are out because of the virus. And that could actually be, you know, whether they have it themselves or maybe they're care- caring for a, a young kid that they can't leave at home. So they've got to be home and can't go into work. And this jump in COVID-related absences comes, as as you mentioned, Rick, the hospitals are just already struggling with staffing shortages and also high patient volumes and very full ICU. So these are the kind of conditions that leave hospitals with even fewer staff available for patients. Um, So at Catholic Medical Center, for example, this week they had well over 100 staff who were out due to the virus. That was around 5% of staff. They said that was the highest level, actually, of COVID-related absences they've seen in this entire pandemic. Um, So what that means is they've got folks working extra shifts. They've got staff working positions they don't normally work in. So it's it's making that difficult staffing shortage even more challenging, Mm -hmm. even if staff cases are, are mild. What hospitals do kind of have in their their toolbox right now is the flexibility to adjust their return to work guidance a little bit based on their own needs and resources. So if they have those staff with mild cases, they can come back a little sooner than they would have earlier in the pandemic. Um, they can kind of decide how they want to handle staff who might be vaccinated but not boosted, who've had an exposure. Um, so they do have a little bit of flexibility there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 as we've we reported earlier in the program, you know, we are starting to see some abatement in other parts of the country. Hopefully, we'll start seeing that here too in New Hampshire. Um, this morning edition from NHPR, we're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Ali Fam and New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan Dewitt. I want to turn to some of your reporting, Ethan, on a new bill lawmakers are considering the session that would limit the way colleges and universities could teach about certain topics like racism and sexism. The New Hampshire legislature passed a similar bill last session geared toward younger grades, K through 12. Can you remind us of that first bill um, just briefly, Ethan? Sure. So the bill last year largely targeted K to 12 schools, but also involved public, uh, any public employees. And it essentially barred public school teachers from certain instruction around race and gender. Uh, It barred them teaching that one race, gender, um, sexual orientation, or any other protected class is inherently superior or advantaged over another, that members of one are inherently oppressive over another member of another class, whether consciously or unconsciously, and that um, members should be treated um, differently based on, again, their um, protected class. Uh, And this passed last year, passed through the budget and uh, um, has already attracted two lawsuits, federal lawsuits brought by two different state teachers unions. They were both filed in December. Um, The lawsuits, uh, one of which is backed by the state's ACLU, are um, saying that the law is too vague and has created a chilling effect for teachers because teachers uh, now feel like any sort of issue that has to do with the issue of race or sexism or, or structural oppression, they have to avoid. Um, supporters of the law say that's not the case, that the law is not meant to stop the teaching of historical racism, but that it is meant to stop teachers from uh, from in- injecting their own opinions into classrooms. Teachers, again, say that because it's vaguely worded and because there are professional consequences for them, that they're, uh, they can't take the risk on some of the discussions. So, so, so Ethan, the- so now, even with these lawsuits going on, I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off, or just for time, I, 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 need to do, I want to ask you about this, this current legislation that's, uh, that's pending. Republicans are looking to see if they can expand this to, to colleges and universities. What are you hearing from, from those, those institutions? 
Yeah, so um, the institutions, there's a, the, yes, there's a bill that would expand what is essentially now in K-12 and would expand it to colleges and to college professors and academic teaching staff. Um, and colleges and uh, public colleges and, and universities are opposed to this. They testified the University System of New Hampshire and the Community College System of New Hampshire, neither of whom really get involved in these political disputes. You know, they're state funded. Um, they both testified this week uh, opposed to this. The ACLU has also testified opposed to it. Um, the key issue for this new front in this debate is the question of academic freedom, because when you get to, uh, you know, higher education, and post-secondary education, you get into realms of academic freedom where there have been a lot of um, Supreme Court uh, rulings in the past that have upheld the ability for a college professor to kind of teach the way they want and to research the way they mm -hmm. want. Um, and Republicans, again, are saying, we're just trying to standardize what we did last year for K-12 right. and bring that to higher education. All right, we're gonna have to leave it there. Uh, I wanna thank you, uh, Ethan. NHPR's Ellie Pham and New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Thank you both for joining us this morning. By the way, you can find much more of their work and all of the stories that we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and at newhampshirebulletin.com. Thank you both so much. Thanks for having us. And Thanks for having us. And be sure to tune in to Morning Edition next Friday to hear another round of the New Hampshire News Recap. I'm Rick Ganley. This is Morning Edition from NHPR.